Hi, it's Mark Stenson. I'd like to tell you about a new sponsor who's unlocking creativity in a unique way. It's an app called Headphone. That's H-E-A-D-F-O-N-E. On Headphone, you can listen to premium audio dramas like romance, thriller, and horror. I was just listening to Dracula Reborn that breathes new life into Bram Stoker's classic tale. Right now, Headphone is offering listeners a 10% discount when you use this code to subscribe. Mark Creativity 10. So go to headphone.page.link slash markcreativity10. I'll put that link in the show notes. And thanks again to the folks at Headphone for their support of the podcast. Tap into your most original thinking. Organize your ideas and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And we're going to have some fun today because we're going to combine two worlds, a world of sports and a world of uh, comedy and, and satire and baseless claims, lies, conspiracy <laughs> theories. First of all, let me introduce the guest before I get into all these topics. My guest is Joel Cohen. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm proud to represent a million baseless conspiracies. <laughs> I love that. If you know the work of The Simpsons, you know this award-winning writer and producer who's worked on The Simpsons for so and continues to work on The Simpsons and won three uh, Emmys for it. And as you say in your bio, uh, even a Peabody. I don't know how that happened, but it's fantastic. It's, it's a mystery to me and the Peabody Awards Commission as well. All yeah. of us are upset about it. <laughs> They'll never live it down, right? No, exactly. The project that we're talking about today is a great new book, The Occasionally Accurate Annals of Football. And you've co-written this with Dan Patrick. And I guess I just have to start there, Joel. Dan Patrick knows something about football and Hall of Fame sportscaster, and he's got awards uh, as well. Uh, how did you guys connect and say, hey, you know what we ought to do? We ought to write a book that has some truth and a lot of non-truth about football. Well, the one thing Dan Patrick doesn't have is the ability to say no to cold calls. And he regrets <laughs> it now. He, he's he, up at night. Why didn't I say no to that idiot? But here we are. I know I'm a huge sports fan. And consequently, I'm a huge Dan Patrick fan. And I literally just reached out to him about a year and a half ago and said, I have this idea for a, what I think will be a funny book. I gave him a few examples. And I guess to his credit or detriment, he said, that sounds great. Let's do it. We've been working on it together for, say, a year and a half. And it's got September 5th. And I think it turned out well. I can say that till September 5th when people find out I'm wrong. But let's enjoy it now. We're in the honeymoon <laughs> that's, period. That's right. Yeah. I love that. It's certainly a fun and humorous look at uh, the NFL. But in terms of here's the stories, here's the great plays and the great players, the Super Bowl stories, but also maybe some uh, lies, conspiracy theories, uh, things that really don't make any sense. <laughs> the the fun of it is it's a, a little bit of a mix because, yeah, everything is based in truth. The entire history of the NFL is in there, of course, with a lot of comedy and a a few mistruths in the form of jokes along the way. We talk about every team. We talk about every player. We talk about many Super Bowl moments. As you said, baseless conspiracies behind things that happened, a few things that didn't happen. And the last thing I'll throw in the mix is we also wrangled in a sort of star-studded uh, group of writers from shows like Saturday Night Live and The Simpsons, of course, Modern Family, Big Bang Theory, et cetera, who all contributed little snippets and little essays as well. So it has a fun texture of people 
recollecting on their own love affairs with football and funny moments in football. Yes, I'm glad you underscored that because I thought this uh, contribution from these other writers not only adds a lot of new stories, uh, it also underscores collaboration. The whole book is one giant collaboration. And I think sometimes people don't appreciate that about creativity. Uh, You think we're coming up with something funny in the room all by ourselves, and all of a sudden it shows up on TV or in a book. No, as I've learned from being a TV writer for, say, 25 years, uh, I have nothing to add. So I need other people to add things for me. But just literally, as you said, being in a writer's room, for example, um, everything great that's on the screen is 100% the product of collaboration. Of of course, there's the incredible rare moment of somebody had a great joke of their own on a script. But even then, people will uh, adjust it, futz with it a little bit, and also set the stage for it to make it even better by the rest of the script. So I've come to learn that a lot of people think TV writing is competitive. And I always correct them and say quite the opposite. It's incredibly collaborative. Yes. And did all these writers find the idea of, hey, submit your your experiences or a joke or two about football? It is ubiquitous. We all love and watch football. We all know something about the players and the teams. But did they say, I, oh, yeah, I got a story that I can't wait to tell you? Yeah. And I, I mean, just to obviously to make sure there was no redundancies, I, I talked to everybody, but everyone that contributed has a, a memory or something funny about football that they wanted to talk to. We have some people just talking about Adam Sandler, for example, writes the foreword about how he's a huge Jets fan. And another guy writes about how he turned out to be a Vikings fan um, and just the childhood memories and people talking about who's who on the sideline and Super Bowl memories. So it's just people were able to draw on what they thought was memorable, but also funny kind of ruled the day, hopefully. Yes. And in terms of the craftsmanship, on this show, we'd like to really explore the creativity behind the work. When you said, look, let's put this together. How do you bring all that together? What was your process to collect the anecdotes and then say, we got to make sense of all this in a book? Yeah, thank you. It's a bit of a tricky thing to do because I've tried this once before and with, I'm going to say, middling results. But I came to learn that just free floating comedy is great, but people like a bit of a narrative to pin it on. So I tried to lay out the history of the NFL as a bit of the narrative. And then on that spine, pepper in talking about every team, every player, and then have these essays also just pop in between decades of of the history of the league. Um, So I was able to just reach out to people that I know um, that I was friends with. And Dan had brought in a few people he worked with, Adam Sandler. And we just talked about what what resonates with you, but also what fits into the book. And it all turned out to to hopefully achieve both of those things. Yes. And it's interesting you mentioned this kind of, that it all comes together. Almost every creative practitioner I talk to talks about storytelling, that there's an arc, there's a plot, there's a story to this. Did you have a sense of that going in or did it develop over time? It goes back to this idea of, I agree, I think it things work better when there is a story, an arc to things that you can actually follow and track. If everything is just loose, it can be very funny, but it doesn't feel cohesive. That's obvious. But so I, as I started to think about it, and the book is called The Annals of Football, and it does talk on, there's a lot of stuff of making fun of, let's say, statistics, or talking about the draft, or talking about these free form aspects of football, but how do you keep it all together? So there is a bit of a thrust taking us through as if it were a story. And that's where that idea of using the history of the NFL kind of became that storyline all the way from when college football, and I'm, I'm putting that in air quotes. If people listen closely, they can hear the air quotes. Yes, it um, just went but, by there. Thank you. I have to make my fingers more verbal. But anyhow, yeah, so that this idea of tra- really tracking and feeling like this is an incredible 
industry, the National Football League and professional football, all the way from this game that was played with colleges in the 1800s. And of course, we know it now, it's this thing that is a multi-billion dollar industry. And maybe people can follow that's the story. And then along the way, we have many fun stops looking at the nuances and idiocies of the game. Yes. As we think about the craftsmanship and the way it all came together, I would love for you to share a passage of the book and one of your favorite parts. Is this a good time for me to admit I can't read? Yeah, (laughs) it's a a little uncomfortable, but yes, you could admit that now. (laughs) I'm just going to move my lips and maybe we'll get a professional reader to fill in the blanks. I just opened to any random page and I'm on page 54 where we're talking about amazing Detroit Lions, which people may be shocked to hear there are even any amazing Detroit Lions. But there's a, a very quick passage I'll read about a guy named Don Malbach, who actually just retired, but I'm reading now. Don Malbach, for 17 years, he was the Lions' long snapper, the specialist responsible for sending tight spirals 15 yards backwards to a waiting kicker. Malbach retired in 2021, yet still earns pocket money at the D- Detroit airport, where for $5, he'll snap your luggage into the open trunk of your car. For $10, he'll snap your baby into its car seat. Price varies depending on baby's weight and oddly middle men. And then there's a lovely drawing of him snapping a baby through his legs. Yes. And, and this sets the tone for the whole book. Exactly. That, that is a flash forward to 100 years from now, students of literature parsing that paragraph, yes. looking for the wisdom behind it. Yes. And, and what did he really mean? Was the baby a symbol for something else? And it was probably a typo, <laughs> really. That's what the truth is. Probably a typo. Yes. That's a good example of here's a little story. And yet it contributes to this whole, because otherwise it's a soundbite and it's that's stand-up comedy. It's that was a good joke, but what's the whole point? Find yourself checking in then to make sure, hey, how is this contributing, whether it's funny or not? Well, I mean, it's, it's by the, I'll just talk about Don Malbach, who is getting more airtime than I thought he, he probably yeah. thought he ever would. <laughs> but that's a player who's obviously had a wonderful career and congratulations on retirement, but Standing stand alone, that's just a name that would get lost in, in history, but it, it's just a fun place to pull out this, A, introduce to readers the idea of a long snapper, which is an odd position in football, and then just have fun with it as well. And there also is an illustration in this case to, to bring it out more. So it rounds out what is normally just like a, a dry statistic about this guy who almost had the longest career ever as a long snapper. And again, like you said, a stand-up comic, hopefully it fleshes it out. And that all falls in the Detroit Lions section, which falls in the decade in which the Detroit Lions were founded. So it's adding texture and color, hopefully, to this storyline that we're telling about the league. Yes. And how did your co-author, Dan Patrick, as he's going through this, yeah, he's got an attitude. He's got a twist. He's got a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But did he really say, I don't know, I'll say put my name on this, but he's telling the history of football from a whole different perspective. Uh, how did those two things clash or and or melt? I, I have to say, like, I, I had never met Dan before I reached out to him, and I have been nothing but thrilled with every interaction with him. Not only is he obviously incredibly knowledgeable and brings a lot of credibility that we can ruin with this book, but he's super funny. That's one of the reasons I went to him because in the world of sports, there's not a lot of people that are also funny. They're funny adjacent, but not really funny. And I I think Dan's actually one of very few exceptions that, you know, he's on his show every day. He's quite humorous. And I knew he'd get it. And he's been in a bunch of movies, a little bit of a teaser. He's going to be in a Simpsons episode in the fall as well. So he was great. And he contributed. He had some thoughts and notes and cuts and edits, but he also had some great ideas. There's a thing in the book comparing Tom Brady's diet to 
uh, the old quarterback, Kenny Stabler's diet, who Kenny Stabler, as the book details, one of the items he ate for lunch was a bacon wrapped cigarette. Right. Um, <laughs> and Tom Brady is the opposite where he'll only eat a fish if the fish also practices yoga and mindfulness. So it's just a fun contrast. Dan had another funny idea. I'm just picking two things off the top of my head about five things you should never bring to a tailgate party. One of them that comes to my head is kale, especially if you keep calling it a superfood. So just like funny things like that. And then a bunch of other ideas that all became sections of the book. And he pitched a funny thing about penalties. The book is a collaboration, 100%. And I'm thrilled, first of all, to have his name on the cover, but he was a great partner the, the whole way through. Yeah, that's great. And it is funny with what you would call half-truths, as it says on the uh, book jacket. But were, were the Calif Carolina Panthers originally a book club? Things like this. Yes. I think <laughs> we can like, reveal. Actually, that could have been. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you have a breaking news soundbite, but I think I can reveal they were never a book club. We've just exposed one of the half truths. Oh, I, the... I, that might be a, like an eighth of a truth. I don't even know. We'd have to do the math. Yes. I love that. And as a writer yourself, then, as you contributed to so many of these uh, great uh, Simpson episodes and other things you've written. But what, show me the difference or compare and contrast between it's a show, we got to get it out, we got to get it done versus a book. Like we want to put this together. It's a whole different approach, I would assume for you. But what were the differences for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I've found that I've enjoyed writing the book because it's just me, which is a negative, but also a positive. You don't get a lot of uh, notes or interference until the point that you do, of course. But when you're writing a TV episode, it's very much a team effort to the to its benefit and also a little bit to the, I suppose, if someone would get frustrated about having their gold reworked by everyone else. But I've come to appreciate both because on a TV show, like you said, there is a deadline. We normally do 22 episodes a year. We have 15 people working madly on all of them, plus our amazing animators and our amazing actors and everyone else associated with the show. But there is a deadline and a sense of thrust that at some point, I don't want to say good enough is good enough, but it does need to move forward in a certain schedule. And the book, of course, it now has a publication date, September 5th, but I had the leisure or the time to write it as I wanted to write it and then present it when I felt like it was done. And then, of course, there was a round of editing and as Dan weighing in and stuff, but very different process very singular versus very collaborative, albeit with these other people contributing, which makes it collaborative as well. But I didn't edit their work very much as, at all. So sure, sure. I had the same experience. And maybe, Joel, this leads us to the business of writing. Yes. And as we're talking now, the business, we usually look at comedy writers, especially and go, man, that what a great job. It's all fun and games. But there is a business side. And as we speak, we're in the middle of a little work stoppage, Yes, an argument over the value of writing and that what it contributes to the creative content and how it creates millions and millions of dollars of revenue and equity for brands. Weigh in a little bit on the business side of writing uh, from your experience and your point of view. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up because it is where I think, if I'm not mistaken, today is the day 85 as we're recording this of the strike. And we've had many strikes before, and these are necessary every now and then to recalibrate this industry that's changing so much. And we just want to make sure the livelihood of being a writer also actually can remain a livelihood. And there's a lot of nuance and little specific issues of the strike, but ultimately at the core is that idea of we would love writing to remain a viable job for 
people that are just starting and of course people like myself that hope to continue and the way that the things are heading and and frankly for a lot of people the way things are right now it is not viable economically to to be a writer and people maybe have an impression that there's writers that have multi-million dollar homes and yes some do but they do because they've created shows that have created multi-million dollar homes for producers and studios, but many don't. And and there's a lot of people that are are making what I think people would think of as middle-class incomes with a very unstable career. And all of the things that we're fighting for right now are just a matter of ensuring that people can genuinely have writing as a job and not have to supplement it as an Uber driver or podcast host or God forbid, write a book. So yeah, (laughs) it's a big issue. And 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 the last thing, forgive me, but the actors are on strike for the exact same reason. It's really become impossible to be an actor that except for one of the, you know, 40, 50, 60 super famous A-list actors. And it is not a career. And everyone is just trying to fight to say, we believe these are valuable. You guys know they're valuable because you are tapping into writers and actors every day. It it serves us all well to ensure that there is a community of these people that are able to do this job and willing and wanting to do this job at a high level. Let's just find a way to make it financially equitable for that to happen. Yes. And looking a little bit under the hood, I know in my yes. business and advertising and marketing, and I, I was a writer and creative director and so forth, uh, clients would come and say, put some skin in the game. You'll be successful if we're successful. Yeah, will you take a bet? You believe in your work? Would you Would you take uh, a bet on yourself? And I would always say yes, but it never really turned out at the end that it was an equitable bet. But uh, I I can only imagine these conversations. Now, maybe at at one level, it's will you take a bet on the whole film or whatever the case might be. But there there are opportunities, right? Let me just uh, ask from a business standpoint, can you get a stake? Can you get a piece of the action? Without getting too technical, people might be familiar with the term of residuals, which is like when I read an episode of The Simpsons, every time that is re- uh, monetized, whether it be on network television or streaming, I get a little bit of money. What's happened is the most of uh, the rebroadcasts have gone to streaming. So we are betting on ourselves in this idea of, yeah, okay, maybe we take a little bit less on the front end, but yeah, every time it is re-aired in whatever capacity, that is our bet and we're going to get some money. But the way the streaming industry has changed, the money that is being paid in residuals from streaming, which is frankly the bulk of viewing these days, has disappeared. And there's these stories right now of people, actors mostly, who have been on hit shows showing the residual checks of $27 or a dollar or 30 cents. And so that bet has just disappeared because of the business side. So now that this is again about recalibrating that. So that bet is a fair bet and does genuinely pay off. When you make more money, we make more money. Yes. And it's what we were hoping for an outcome, but we're not there yet. Well, and I guess the same thing in uh, radio and music. If it's the 0.001 cent per airtime, that's not the same kind of residuals that maybe the artists were used to in the past. Yeah, 100%. And I, there's been all these fights in the music world about streaming revenue versus radio play, et cetera. It's the same argument. And hopefully there's a res- resolution that is fair on all sides. But yeah, it hasn't Did this, and I'm curious how that going back to now the overlap and the Venn diagram of football and as entertainment. Did this come up at all in your work and stories about footballs and teams that it's not a game anymore? and they're not just athletes anymore, that when you're building multi-billion dollar stadiums to entertain us fans, it's a different kind of game, isn't it? A hundred percent. And I I talk about in the book a little bit about there's been strikes in the NFL. There's been replacement players in the NFL. And 
it's this exact same thing. You know, when people generally think about NFL players and think these guys are millionaires, but a lot, yes, some are, but there's a ton of people that aren't. And it's an incredibly risky career. And dare I say, so is writing, so is acting. And it's short-lived, like these careers as well. So everyone's just trying to get their piece of the pie while they can. So the book has all that. There's a joke about a fictional owner strike one time where they have <laughs> signs that say one yacht is not enough. If you think about it, the rich are a minority as well things like that. I'm even writing picket signs for the rich in this book. So yeah, we talk about that and just talk about the sheer volume of money that, that is generated from football. And, and one last thing I'll mention, the book also has a chapter that just kind of walks you through. If you are talented enough to play football from being a little kid, even three years old, all the, what, what the gauntlet is you have to run through to get into the NFL. And then the average career is two and a half years. Yes. And then there's, I propose an NFL player senior league as a stupid business investment at the end of that. But anyhow, so yeah, it just does talk about how it is a business. And I hope again, that these guys recognize it as such and and balance risk and reward. And, and there is some reward to balance it with. Yeah. Maybe we can sandwich. We started with a lot of fun. We talked a lot of business in the middle. Maybe now as we uh, head out the other end of the podcast, let's uh, think more ahead of the future of entertainment, comedy, as a writer yourself looking at the business, what's ahead and what are the trends in development? Uh, how is the new entertainment going to be created? That's a good question. Again, for people that have been following the strike, AI, artificial intelligence is one yes. of these big looming threats to all of us, presumably, but for entertainment, because AI can write a script. Maybe it's not the best script. It can write a book, maybe better than the book I've written. It can actually, for actors, it's even a bigger threat because it can scan people's likeness and then just have them say whatever it wants them to say, move them however it wants them to move. So that's a negative trend that everyone's trying to stave off. At the moment, I don't think it's at the level that I would like to think a computer can, let's say, write a joke or an emotional story as well as a human can, but uh, technology obviously changes. So the, And then just as far as trends in content, everything is so fragmented now and the audiences are so in, small, except for a few exceptions. There's every weird facet of everything, of comedy. There's very crazy slapstick comedy that you can find. And there's broad comedy that, that could be and is on network TV. In that sense, it's there's something for everybody. It's just a matter of you have to find it. And, and then if you're a creator, you have to know that you have an, an audience might be out there, but it's a smaller audience, but you do have that ability to, to touch them and connect with them, not just on traditional streaming and broadcast TV, but obviously new media as well. Yes. I don't know if that answered the question, but it's a oh, long answer. Well, give, no, give it, the it, length it, of the answer or, or credit, not the quality. Absolutely. The yeah. more, the better. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we were talking about collaboration. You mentioned all these other great uh, writers contributed to the book. I was curious if any new collaborations might have come out of this. When Adam talks to Andy, who calls Joel, what new things might come out? I don't know about that. I, I do propose a way to fix the New York Jets. Spoiler alert that ends with them moving to Portland. <laughs> so maybe that's a great collaboration of minds that have somehow saved the New York Jets from their track record. There's probably some dumb ideas in here that we'll look back on in four years and we're like, wow, that guy nailed it. You know, what a great idea. But I, I guess that remains to be seen. How about yes. that? I love that. Yeah, Joel, and what about yourself? What's on the horizon? Creators well, are always thinking and uh, reinventing and uh, conspiring. Yes, exactly. <laughs> For the next little while, I plan to walk in a circle with a stick in my sand, getting right. honked at by cars in front of a studio. <laughs> I would love to do another book. So I, I do hope that people like this and it's well received. And Dan and I have talked about maybe addressing other sports down the road. But of course, it depends, pending on how well this does. 
I'm always working on other stuff, some other movie ideas. They're all frozen, of course, at the moment because of the strike. Yes, but I, yes. whenever this strike will end at some point, let's hope. And and then I do have a bunch of other stuff I'd like to try as well. Movies, TV ideas, et cetera. It just always, unfortunately, even though my career is on strike, my brain isn't. So it keeps cranking out bad ideas. That's the thing about creatives. You can't stop it. Exactly. There's, sure mean, there's the, the work stoppage or... just meets the producing part. Yeah. Gil should have given us lobotomies just to put our minds in a jar till we're done and then return them to us afterwards. But they, they wouldn't do that. They're so selfish. Yeah. That's fantastic. Joel, what a pleasure to have you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And I hope you and anyone listening enjoys the book. Thank you. Again. I, know, I know they will. Thank Folks, you. my guest has been Joel Cohen. He's a co-author with Dan Patrick of a great new book, The Occasionally Accurate Annals of football. It is full of highlights and plays and stories, uh, as well as scandals and half-baked theories and other things that, hey, we've all sat around a bar talking about these made-up stories anyway, so we might as well put them in a book. Uh, Creative people, come back again. We're going to continue these round-the-world journeys to talk to creative practitioners. We love to hear how ideas get inspired, how they get organized, and most of all, how we can gain the confidence and the connections to launch our work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll be unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliQ Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media, The Patients Speak, Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83 Bar. Look for the patient speak on your favorite podcast app.